0: Hey, chirocasters, the reason I enjoy working with the three sponsors that I have is because I can customize each one of them. You know, the website, from now you know, I am constantly customizing it, constantly changing it, tweaking it. Um, they even give you customized themes. Um, you know, you can customize the content. That There's just an amazing amount of stuff you could do with them. Uh, PCD, you can customize, uh, Prefer Chiropractic Doctor, you can customize them all you want in creating the best fee schedules for yourself and your practice and where you are. And chiorate. I love chirorate because I can customize things for Activator, for pediatrics, for the different things that I do. So here's the podcast and we're talking today about a sick child in this painting. Once again we're doubling back on the idea of what are we can what can we find in the shortest period of time. Yeah, this is a little one, right? Let's take it up here so I don't block you. This is a little one. Uh, so maybe like three ish years old, and um, who is this, you think? Is that the mother? I don't know. I don't see that as the mother in this painting. I've looked at this a lot. I don't see this as the mother. What do you think? What did you say, Carol? Grandmother, maybe. Yeah, maybe a grandmother as possible. And now, but I, I want you to look at what she's wearing here and on her head, and it could be a grandmother, but who else could this be? Yeah, yeah, this could be a caregiver, a nanny, a nurse, something like that, nursemaid without something. Uh, so either a, a relative like a grandmom, or it could be some uh, potential hired person that's, that's helping out. Um, very hard to say what's going on. Obviously this is an older painting, because you could tell by the furniture, etc. Very hard to say by this limited-looking painting. Um, but what do you think is happening with her? hand, you look at the arms of this child, they don't look, uh, they look full. Yeah, she's not malnourished, this so little she, girl. Right, so she's not, yeah, she's not like she's not eating. Yeah, she's not malnourished, um, so hard to say if this is a chronic illness or acute illness, but I just, I always thought about this when I looked at this, you know, look where the covers are, and where her, like, dress is. What does that kind of indicate? Yeah, well, yeah, so, so whatever it is, she's really hot, and she's been complaining, like, I'm too hot, you know. Um, now, sometimes when you have a fever and it's bad, like, you get cold and chills and stuff. So, this looks like the fever has maybe been going on for a while. Um, and I look at the face, and obviously, this is more impressionistic, but I look at the face, and what do you, what do you catch out of the face here? The open mouth. Yes, yeah, so I'm thinking, this, you know, even though yeah. that there's someone who's sitting here watching, uh, I'm sitting here thinking that maybe she's either got a bad cold or the flu or something like that because she's mouth-breathing. She's a little pale here but a little bit red over there, which means she's got a fever. So those are the kind of things that we're, you can kind of gather out of looking at, at these you know, sorts of, of things. <clears throat> and then I want to show you something totally opposite from a very different painter. So this is obviously quite abstract. Can anybody guess who this painter is without looking at top and seeing who it is? There's only one painter who ever painted like this. And by the way, this particular painting, if I remember correctly, is like the size of this wall. So who is the, who is the painter who painted ginormous like things like this? This is Jackson Pollock. This is Jackson Pollock. Um, so what are we looking at here? Like a tunnel. Yeah, a tunnel, maybe, or a vortex, or something. And the thing I really enjoy about his work is, like, what kind of emotion do you get out of it? Well, I mean, there's that's a... That's a good, it's positive. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. That's good. light at the end of the tunnel. I like it. Yeah, if you ever watched anything about how he painted, he was always, like, splattering and angry, and that was, that was the, like, you know, his, you know, kind of thing. Um, so when you look at this kind of painting, uh, I don't think anybody is seeing happy, although light at the end of the tunnel isn't bad. That's the first time anybody's ever said that. That's good. Um, but... Yeah, trapped or, or vortex like sucking you in is what I usually get. Or um, rarely do we get any any positive because there's not a whole lot of positive colors, you know, in this uh, in sort of stuff. And that was very typical of Jackson Pollock, especially if you knew about his any background about his, his life and everything. Does um, it have, I'm sorry. Sure. Go ahead. Does he have color or is he? Uh, there's um, minor bits of color, I think, some yellowish, uh, oh, okay. lighter colors here and there. I see yellow. Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of color, you know, here. Um, there's so many, there's so many different, um, you know, kinds of paint. Let me show you some more Jackson Pollock here. He was quite incredible. So here's just another example of some of the, the paintings that he saw. And, and look at him. Can, can you already, just looking at Jackson Pollock in this picture, what's, what's going on with him? Let, let's, do, let's do a psych profile of Jackson Pollock. Troubled. Very much. Troubled. And how would, you, how would you, you think that? His face. <laughs> yeah, his face. You know, his eyes. Look, look at his one eye is open, one eye is kind of half closed and stuff. And, yeah, he was, a, he was the challenged person, right? And if you read anything about his history, he was quite interesting. Um, So, um, and and this is how he used to paint. He used to have these giant, you know, uh, murals on the floor, and used to splatter and all that kind of stuff with them. Um, You know, here's one of his more, another one of his more famous ones. So Just to show you that he did have color in some of his work how would you, this is called convergence, so how would you um, characterize this particular painting? Like what would the, what emotion are you getting out of this? Disturbed. Yes, yes, and and that was the theme of a lot of his stuff. And now some people will say this isn't really a painting, like anybody with a toothbrush can do this, you know? When, uh, which isn't really true, like you know, My son and my wife and I, when uh, my son was uh, a young person, we we took him to the Museum of Modern Art um, where one of his paintings were. And my son wanted to make a painting like this. So we we got some paintbrushes and some toothbrushes and we laid a canvas, like, uh, you know, tarp down and put a canvas in the middle of it. And then we just started splattering with it. And it's very haphazard, but you can't, like, ours just looks like someone who was just, painting haphazardly. He really had a purpose when he was doing this kind of stuff even though it's hard to, to describe you know, what it was. Uh, but he really had a purpose you know, to this and the, the, just the sheer size of it was just so enormous um, that it's unmistakable. And why is that important? Because, like, have you ever been to like one of those huge 3D movies? You know, like the, the huge like IMAX kind of things and you kind of get <clears throat> enveloped into the, the screen? <clears throat> So that you become part of the space mission, or you become, or something they're flying and they, they dive you down and you become part of it. That's what the Jackson Pollock paintings, you know, do, is they make you like, die, like, when you see this, it's not this big. It is like, just so enormous. You become a part of the painting when you get close to it. So you could feel the, the energy uh, that, that he was feeling. And I think the reason I'm bringing that up is because that's what we need to do with our kids right, we need to feel the energy of our kids. When our kids <coughs> excuse me, first come into our practice, we have to feel if they want us to approach them or avoid them. You know, we have to, we have to get their energy. Uh, we had a child come in um, on Friday night who was a two-year-old boy, newer client, a new patient, and he, um, <coughs> we had the intern go in the back and try to do a history and examine. And this kid was just ballistic, just totally ballistic. So. The intern came. And said, "I think I need you to help me with this one." So I went in there, and it wasn't just the intern. It was a- anybody who approaches this child. The kid just went bers- berserk, just totally, you know, bonkers. So we did whatever we could. <clears throat> and when I said to the mom, "Is you know, we're just going to do a two-part exam, right?" and That is sometimes what we have to do in these kind of cases is understand that if a child, let's say this child who's most likely on the spectrum, let's say this child, this is how he sees the world, right? If this is how he or she sees the world, then we need to respect that. And if we are part of this stuff, then understand when we are talking with them, all they see is chaos. All they see is disorder. And that's all they feel. So what we need to do is we need to approach them where they are, right? Which means that we don't try to push our our way through the whole exam. Like this kid was, I could not do any of the primitive reflex exams that I wanted to, because he was like, I would go near him and he would literally like, open his mouth up, head back, eyes tearing, you know, pouring crocodile tears. There was no way I was gonna get any valid information out of this, so the, the deal is this. excuse me number one what's the rush right do I need everything all at once is that a requirement of the exam whoever came up with that you guys have, I'm sure experienced that in clinic where you've done you know two or three day visits for your first visit you know when you oh I have to do this exam oh I got to do this exam right so I'm sure you're so this is the same in the real world sometimes although it's a lot less often but sometimes you have to space these things out number one and number two is I want to earn the respect of this child because even though this child is nonverbal, I know that by allowing him to go and not invade his space the next time he comes to see me, what might I get? Acceptance. A little more acceptance, right? And it may take me a while, like I probably will be able to complete at least part of the exam, even if I have the mom do part of it next time, if I have to, I will have her, I'll give her some of the things to do. Um, but that's the whole point, is I want to build trust in this child. So I have the child lead how my exam rolls. And that's what I want to show you with this, is if, this, if the child feels like his life is like this kind of painting, then we have to give them room, right? And, and this is, a, once again, I see a lot of the, this as is an issue in chiropractic, is that we feel like we have to get everything all done at once, you know. There's, there's also this big push in chiropractic that we should adjust people on the first visit. I think that is a big mistake. Right? I think that is a huge mistake to adjust on the first visit. Because if you, we're not a dentist, right, where we find a cavity and then fix a cavity and don't see the person again for six months or a year. right? So if you want to show your value of everything you just performed, of all the exam and maybe the x-rays or the EMGs or whatever else you just did, if you want to show true value then say, now I need to interpret this, right? And then you come back next time for your first adjustment. And there will be some people who will balk, but then what you tell them is the same thing I tell them, which is, you know, I strive for the best possible results, and the way I get the best results is by taking my time, and I don't rush into anything. And if I don't rush into something, then I have time to ponder it and study it and analyze it. And then I can adjust you knowing that I'm doing the best possible adjustment for your kid or for you or whatever it is. And people will 99% of the time be okay with that. Because they don't want you rushing into something. They don't want you doing a halfway job. They want you going all the way. So I want you to really think about that. you know. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I've been trying to, to really teach you this whole quarter.